if I pushed back against people who are like, oh, well, no, you should have kids. Oh, you'll never, no, you'll, you'll regret it. You'll be alone. I mean, how rude to say to somebody you're going to be sad and alone when you're old. But anyway, yeah. but if I pushed back and said, well, no, actually, you know, it's a decision I made and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy with it or whatever. Often the questioner would then take that as me saying, your decision was the wrong one, yes. which is not obviously what I meant at all. Hello, my name's Riley Rose Harper, and this is How to Turn 30, the podcast all about tackling the transition from your 20s to your 30s. This is episode six, Babies, No Thanks, featuring Tori Shepard. A few weeks ago on the podcast, we spoke to Nell Frizzell, who really let us take a little peek into what the decision-making process looked like around having kids or not. She did have a baby. She has a little toddler now. Of course, if you haven't listened to Nell's episode, it's episode number two. So what does it look like when you don't want to have kids? Or maybe you're leaning more towards not wanting to have kids, but you're worried about the stigma that surrounds the decision. You're worried about changing your mind later in life, maybe. It's almost a scary prospect, isn't it? Deciding not to have kids feels a little bit like you're zigging while maybe other people around you are zagging. Today, we're speaking to Australian journalist and author Tori Shepard. She penned a book called On Freedom, which explores how women's freedom to choose motherhood is shaping their own lives as well as society. In fact, let me read you a little bit more of the description of the book. They're labelled as selfish, as deliberately barren, and sometimes as crazy old cat ladies, but increasingly women are choosing to be child-free. By 2030, couples without children are set to outnumber those who have them. Yeah, it is such an interesting read, not only from Tori Shepard's perspective, but also how society has shaped this narrative and stereotype around being child-free. Because Tori, she chose not to have kids, and in today's episode, we're really going to explore that decision, how Tori came to it, why choice can be just as crippling, and whether this stigma around women choosing not to have kids is actually changing or not. Here's Tori Shepard. Tori, thank you so much for joining me on How to Turn 30 today. Uh, let's start with the stigma around being child-free. How is this still a stigma? Anyway, thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. I know, you're absolutely right. I mean, it really is, though. In your early 20s, I found in my group of friends, you know, it never was on your mind. And then all of a sudden, in your late 20s and your early 30s, everyone's talking about it and everyone's the asking clock about ticking. it. The mm. clock is ticking. Watch out, emergency, better move forward swiftly and there's only one way to go. Um, And, you know, since I launched the book, it's been really interesting hearing from older women who who decided never to have children or, you know, of course, unfortunately couldn't have children who are still like, oh, how many grandkids have you got? Wow. You have to keep expecting. Blaming myself and I'm, you know, into their 60s and 70s. It's almost like a cycle and it does start with sort of, oh, why haven't you got a partner yet? And you're just like, well, I don't know, maybe there's something wrong with me. That's exactly the problem. And so it's a series of you know, boxes that you have to have ticked. And I think particularly for women, you know, men who don't have partners are sort of seen as, the, you know, these playboys cruising mm. around in top of cars, a James Bond or something. And if they, if they don't have kids, that just continues. But for women, it's sort of this... Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> um, and, you know, I kind of want to say pretty early on as well, I had to be very careful to make a big distinction. I chose not to have children and then just, you know, was constantly getting annoyed by people who were questioning that decision. But also at the same time, I kept having in the back of my head, you know, what was happening to friends of mine who couldn't have children, who were going through you know, endless rounds of IVF, 
um, who for various reasons, you know, weren't, you know, maybe they didn't want to go at, go it alone um, and they didn't have a partner or whatever. Mm. So friends in really tough positions and they were getting asked these pesky questions like, oh, how many kids have you got? Oh, why haven't you got any? When are you going to start? Oh, you're not getting any younger, you know? And for me, it was just annoying. But for them, it was downright painful. Oh, absolutely. Do you think that we're getting better? Do you think those questions will eventually subside at least a little bit now that we are do feel a bit more educated on those experiences that people are enduring? I feel like that should have already happened. Yeah. I mean, I get that these things sort of move slowly and it is true that quite often the questions come from maybe an older generation. It's interesting that they almost always come from women. And I've got a kind of theory that if you've chosen a very different life course from somebody, they take that as an insult to their choices, mm-hmm. you know, because if I pushed back against people who are like, oh, well, no, you should have kids, oh, you'll never, no, you'll, you'll regret it, you'll be alone. I mean, how rude to say to somebody you're going to be sad and alone when you're old, but anyway. Yeah. Um, but if I push back and say, well, no, actually, you know, it's a decision I made and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy with it or whatever, often the questioner would then take that as me saying, your decision was the wrong one, which is not obviously what I meant at all. Well, let's talk about that decision anyway. Did you always know that that would be your decision, you know, through your 20s and stuff? Because I, and you write about this in your book too, I'm an absolute fence sitter. I've just done it. (laughs) Yeah, which I think is completely fair enough. So the way I think about it, I'll get back to me in a little bit, but God, you know, I'm a journalist. (laughs) I like doing interviews. But I'll just preface it by saying, I guess what I worked out during while I was writing the book and interviewing people is it's not one way or the other. It's like a spectrum, right? So there are people who are like, definitely have to have kids no matter what, you know, they'll go it alone. They'll go through endless rounds of IVF. They'll put themselves through whatever it takes to have a kid. Mm -hmm. Then there are people, and this is probably closer to where I sit, who were just never interested and nothing changed that. And in between, there's a whole lot of women just, sort of sitting and they might go down one side or the other and it might be that, you know, various factors influence their decisions at various times, you know, whether they have a, a, a partner who wants to have a kid, whether they, you know, are worried about their job prospects if they have to. And there are all these, like a myriad little influences on that decision. And for me, I was pretty much like, you know, I had to go back and check with my high school friends and was like, was they ever like, you know, talking about kids? And I'm like, no, you just never... Never were that interested, but I did, and I write about this in the book, because it's a spectrum, I did when I was, I, you know, I met a guy, I fell in love, I got married, Mm -hmm. and we've had the conversation about not having kids, but I think for men, they don't have to think about it so deeply, because they're not getting asked about it all the time, Yeah, Um, and then it's sort of turned out that actually maybe he did want kids and I went through a stage of thinking, you know what, everyone will be happy if I do. He'll be happy, my parents will be happy um, and maybe everyone's right that I should just do it and it'll be the best thing I've ever done and I don't know what I'm missing out on. So I did sort of try, you know, I went off the pill for for a while and it wasn't happening and then I just realised that the idea of it I don't know if this is too graphic. <laughs> no, I was literally like every time I got my period, I was like, hooray, huzzah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then I went, oh, yeah, I really don't want kids. And I'm lucky in the sense that I, I kind of got to test my my um, 
resolution in a, in a way. And then I could come away going, no, no, I really, really don't want kids. And I got to that point and it wasn't going to make me happy. So I could then, you know, just let it go and be pretty certain in my decision. Whereas I think it's, yeah, it's so hard for people sitting on the face. It's a massive life decision. I know. It's almost, it feels a little bit harder almost because I just want to have a clear cut. I mean, you spoke about your mum in the book as well. Can you mm. tell me what she said about when um, you were deci- you'd made the decision? So mum and, you know, pretty much all the women of her generation, it was just unthinkable mm. to say, no, nah, I don't want to have kids. You know, I mean, we talk now about the stigma on women today, but for her, so she's in her late 70s now, it was just that that's what you did. She's a fierce, fabulous my mom, and she was the breadwinner in the family and all that sort of stuff. But she was like, but you just do, don't you? And she at one stage was like, well, maybe I'll just replace your contraceptives with that sugar pills <laughs> because I just think that, you know, if you just have them, you'll be fine. And then as I was writing the book and having more conversations with her, she was like, oh, man, like, it, I actually am glad I didn't have this freedom, which is where, you know, the title of the book comes from, because it's really hard to have to make this decision when there is another option. Like, it was easier not to, in a sense, have the freedom to think of an alternative pathway and just, you know, go go with what was the done thing. Mm. And she, yeah, she so she sort of had a little... She learned alongside me as I, yes. as I wrote the book. But no, I totally agree. I'm lucky that I had that clarity. Um, and I, it, it is much harder when you're worrying if you should or shouldn't. And the clock is ticking. God, I hate that phrase. <laughs> I know, I know. I hate it too. I'm just like, no, thank you. So my best friend and I talk about this a lot and it sort of ties in. I wonder if you can elaborate on it. Um, but when you have your family and they are saying, you know, love a grandbaby or you know um when are you going to start or and and then you've got these sort of social constructs that you've been sort of I guess conditioned by for your whole life mm. um you know and I'm from a small town too so you know it's so common and each to their own but sometimes I have to sit and think about it okay what do I want in my heart or mm. have I been conditioned? I know. And that is a very, very difficult thing to do because you can't separate all those messages that you've had from the time that you were born about this is the natural thing for women and this is just what women do. And this is, you know, people desperately want babies. So, mm-hmm. you know, who are you? What's missing from you that you don't have that, um, you know, that desperation to, to reproduce? And I had to do a lot of soul searching and go like, what what is wrong with me? And I read, you know, what research there is, which is fairly sort of thin on the ground and a real mixed bag in terms of evidence about why women don't have children. And you know, there are people out there theorizing, well, they had a bad childhood themselves, mm-hmm. or you know, the classic of they're just selfish. And I started off thinking, what negative thing makes me want not want to have children? And then I realized, it's not. It's not a negative thing at all. It's mm. just an absence. Like, it's just when I hear people go, you know, oh, God, I just can't wait to start a family. I'm like, oh, I don't have that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And to turn it around and just be like, well, it's like other people, you know, I don't know, craving Doritos. I hate Doritos. Yes. Like, I, I, so I just, you know, don't have, sorry, I shouldn't, that's a bad analogy because I <laughs> hate children. <laughs> yes. I just don't have that craving. It's not some sort of, 
trauma in my past. Mm. It's, it's nothing that's absent from my soul. It's just a decision that I have the right to make. Yeah, it's almost like you've really just got to hone in on your absolute gut instinct. I know. I feel like you need to like close yourself off and be a hermit on a mountain. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I should try that. <laughs> yeah, just cut off all of that all of that all of that noise and find the signal. Exactly. Well, it's so lovely to chat to you, Tori, because, um, you know, I was saying in our initial email, I first heard you when you were interviewed by Mia Friedman and I and it was earlier this year and it was sort of, I just had turned 29 actually and I was sort of like listening to your conversation like, oh, okay, this is an option, definitely. And, you know, it's so nice for you to actually be able to talk about it and having read your book, which is peppered with facts. And I love the one actually about having children has become quite romantic when we used to have children because they'd be sort of working in the house and earning money. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. And I guess that's kind of around the whole helicopter parenting thing. You know, children used to sort of be an asset because you could send them up a chimney or whatever, send them out into the field. (laughs) And now they And it's almost like it can become, I guess, like a status symbol for people. You know, Mm. you know, Instagram up your kid, get them in the good light, riding down the beach in their designer clobber and everything else. And you know, you see that a lot in um, obviously that start a lot of that started in China when they had the one child policy. I guess you know, enforced kind of semi barrenness, and so they had these you know princes because they all wanted men, and there are some awful things that happened around that time but yeah they are now much more an extension of who you are and your success in life yeah so maybe that's why you know you would think in these more enlightened times the stigma would have disappeared about women who choose not to have children but at the same time they are kind of a lifestyle accessory Mm. in all those um and I'm not saying that you know, that's true for everyone, but mm. I'm saying that you know you get you get bombarded with those images of this is what the perfect life looks like. You know, a successful career balanced perfectly with this really easy life of pristine kitchen all the time and beautifully dressed children. Mm. No I, one can, you know, who people oh. people who achieve that they got nannies, man, they got cleaners, they're not yep. just doing that on their own. Absolutely, I know you're absolutely right. And you know, even in your chat with Mia Friedman, it was like some people, you know, shouldn't have children as well. With there's <laughs> really bad people out there that shouldn't procreate. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it sort of starts to be seen as a, a right. And there were a lot of conversations around this in terms of the subsidies that go to IVF clinics. And um, I mean, it's a while ago now, but those, those clinics were just charging an absolute mozza, even as the actual treatments were getting cheaper. And there were stories about women going in, you know, worried that they couldn't get pregnant and clinics going, oh, we'll just stick you on this fertility treatment. You know, we'll get thousands from the government and thousands from you. But they hadn't sort of said, oh, have you... <laughs> Are you doing it at the right time of the month? Yeah, <laughs> And because, you know, of course, when the government tried to remove some of those subsidies, it's like, but we, this is almost a sacred right that we have. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty he- heavy, isn't it, when it, you trace it back through history as well? Oh, look, it, it really is, and the, and the changes that have happened, and I guess the, you know, the, the statistical side of it, I think, is just fascinating that where you know the, the fertility rate in almost all developed nations uh, is now dropped below what they call replacement rate, which is these are like cold, awful statistical terms that get misused by racists, by the way. But you know, right. leave them out of this for now. But you know, if it wasn't for immigration, we would be shrinking as a nation. And I'm saying this like outside of 
COVID, obviously. Yes, yeah, of um, course. And then you know, there's a lot of dry statistics around that and how various countries go. But one of my favourite was that in Japan, where women have won some equality and are going to work, but they haven't won what should come with that, which is, you know, free, broadly accessible childcare or husbands who help pick up the slack as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they they now have this tremendous problem with the ageing population with no children being born um, and then living longer than a lot of other nationalities as well. So mm-hmm. for the first time, adult diapers outsold child diapers. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Isn't that crazy? Oh, my God. I mean, I don't know who decided to, like, yeah. research <laughs> But it's kind of just mm. a vaguely amusing symbol of a really kind of terrifying situation. I mean, they now have all, you know, it's, you laugh and then you have to go, well, right, but this also means that there are a lot of old people kind of dying alone and not being supported and the shrinking shrinking working class that's not paying enough taxes to kind of support them. And, of course, they're notoriously anti-immigration. I think now they're letting some temporary migrants in so they don't have, you know, that access to a different sort of workforce that can boost the economy and pay the taxes that, you know, keep all those ageing people well looked after. So, yeah, it almost feels a little bit dystopian. <laughs> It does feel a little dystopian. And when I was reading about it, they were talking about there's a new booming industry in cleaners who go and clean up little apartments when people have died and not been found oh, for weeks. God. But it's like it's a, a little specialist kind of industry that, that's cropped up because of how often it's, it's happening. And so it's pretty pretty dire. Well, Tori, your book on freedom is out now and available now. Thank you so much for talking to us on how to turn 30 today. I hope it's given people some more clarity around the topic. Excellent. Thank you so much. You can buy a copy of Tori Shepard's book on freedom via the link in the show notes. It's such a thought-provoking read, no matter where you stand on the topic. And even if you do have kids maybe or you do want to have kids in the future it's important to read this book just for a little bit of perspective and understanding of maybe your friends or family that don't want to have kids or don't see kids in their future as well if you enjoyed this episode please give it a rating or review i would be so grateful if you could share it around a little bit to maybe your friends that are about to turn 30 these conversations might just help them too Thank you so much for listening. Please get in touch with me at Riley Rose Harper or How to Turn 30 Podcast on Instagram. I'll drop another episode in your feed next week.